is one of the best-selling authors ever, especially in the self-help arena. He just finished his 46th book, and it's called Memories of Heaven. And uh, he's one of my best friends, and I talk to him like almost every single day. We talk on the phone, and he's probably, between Louise Hay and him are the reasons Hay House, you guys all know about Hay House. He's helped so much with growing Hay House and with helping hundreds of millions of people around the world, and it is Dr. Wayne Dyer. yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you just like everybody else means to fight the greatest battle there is to fight and never stop fighting and I think that's really appropriate for right is there anyone have a copy here of, uh, of, of uh, I can see clearly now is there happen to be a copy can you just hand it to me for a second I just want to share one of the last things that I have this is a memoir that I just wrote recently. I can't afford my own copy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, one of the uh, I said uh, this is the very last words in this book, and it's a, a, a labor of love. I spent uh, five months writing every single day, uh, three writing sessions a day. The day after I had announced to my family that I was not going to do any more writing. <laughs> I told them I was tired, I had not done enough, I've written many, many bestsellers. Um, I, I, write, I write everything that I write by hand. And, um, <clears throat> and I just didn't want to face five or six hundred blank pages again. I just, it was just taking too much out of me. That was on the 26th of June, 2012. And I felt very relieved to just have that done. And on the 27th of June, I woke up and I started writing. <laughs> and I wrote furiously. In fact, I wrote so furiously because I write by hand everything that I write that um, I actually put my neck out. I, uh, uh, and almost had to have surgery. I'm just, one of the reasons I have to work, speak now when I sit is because I, um, 
I was forced to because of because of the writing. It, it took that much out of me. But it also <clears throat> taught me how to speak while sitting, which is even more important. It's conversational because when you when you stand, you're performing, and when you when you sit, you're teaching. All of the great teachers in India, Jesus, when all of his talks, what he would say. Some of the people I admire the most when I watch them speaking, they all sit in shorts. It's not, not performing. In order to access guidance, I encourage you to make a commitment to be absolutely faithful to that which exists nowhere else but within yourself. This is the great secret for seeing and for writing ever more clearly and to live your life from a place of passion and purpose. Be absolutely faithful to that which exists nowhere else but within yourself. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. So what I <clears throat> I was being interviewed by the New York Times uh, oh ten years ago, maybe more than that. Um, and there were two of us being interviewed. One, one was uh, a man that I admired very much. Uh, some consider him to be the greatest playwright of the 20th century. Um, his name was Arthur Miller. If you've ever watched Death of a Salesman or The Crucible or had to read them when you were in school um, and write reports on them and so on. And he was 88 years old at the time. And they asked him the question, um, Mr. Miller, are you working on another play? And he said oh, something that I've never forgotten. I jotted it down and I've said it many, many times in my talks. He said, I don't know. He said, but I probably am. And what he was suggesting there is that there is something, there's some invisible intelligence, some kind of a guidance system that is going on that moves the pieces around in this chessboard called our life. And when I sat down to write this memoir, to look at all of the, uh, all of the forces, all of the conditions, all the um, all of the things, the people that I met, the circumstances that showed up, that had my life going in one way, and then all of a sudden, I'm going in another direction. First, when I wrote that, I took every book that I had written, um, there were 44 of them at the time, and I just laid them all out in, in the room where I write. And I, from the very first one, Your Erroneous Elms, back in 1976, to before that, my textbooks that I had written, and I just laid them all out. So, right up until now. And then I would go through the index of the books and try to remind myself of what was going on in my life at that time. What directed me to go from this to that? And oftentimes I couldn't figure it out, but I could see there were just dramatic shifts taking place. The first five books that I wrote, all of which were New York Times bestsellers, there wasn't there wasn't one reference to God, or spirit, or higher consciousness, or divine mind, or any of the things that are so much a part of my life, and my writing, and, and my living today. Uh, and then I looked at the next book, which was called You'll See It When You Believe It, and I looked at the index of that book, which came about ten years after I started writing for the public. And there were 39 references to God and spirit higher consciousness in that book. I never had a conscious decision that I was going to sit down and now move out of the field of psychology into the world of spirituality. But there was something 
something that uh, I call the impersonal life. Um, there's something that we all share, each and every one of us. I just gave a two-day le lecture on this, some of you were here. Um, and if I were to ask you to take a look at your ten fingers and, uh, and talk to your fingernails and tell them to stop growing because you're just tired of having to cut them every day and so on, you would realize that you're really not doing anything. You're not doing anything, as Lao Tzu said in the Tao Te Ching, uh, you're not doing anything, you're just being done. And you know that about your body, don't you? You know that there's, uh, there's something beating your heart right now. And not only is it beating your heart, but it's beating every heart in this room. And it's growing every fingernail in this room. If there's 500 people in here, there's, uh, you know, there's 5,000 fingernails that all are being grown, independent of your opinion about it. And that isn't just true for your physical self. It's true for your mental self, your spiritual self, your emotional self as well. That who you are is independent of all of those things. Who you are is an infinite consciousness. Who you are is a piece of God. You emanated from, from that. T.S. Eliot, the famous American poet, once said that we, are, we shall not cease from exploration. But at the end of all of our exploring will be to return to the place from which we originated and to know it for the first time. To know it. There is something that uh, was operating there. T.S. Eliot was speaking about death and dying. I'm not. I don't think you have to die or leave your body uh, permanently in order to experience that perfection from which we all originated to which we return which is growing not only your fingernails, but everybody else's as well. So we're all connected to each other in an invisible way. And it's not only doing that, but it's, uh, I always start my talks with, by holding up a rose. And I say, I quote the great Persian poet Rumi, Jalaluddin Rumi, Mevlana, our master, back in the 13th century. He said, what was said to the rose that made it open was said to me here in my chest when I met you, and he was speaking about God. And Anais Nin, a very famous Spanish writer from Cuba, who lived in, in France, said, and the day came when the risk of remaining tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And I suggest that you are all very much aware and understand that. that you, you have something inside of you that says, I have to blossom. I have to express it. You wouldn't put your money down. You wouldn't vote with your legs and show up at something like this to listen about writing and want to do it. If, it wasn't, if there wasn't some kind of internal burning desire that is placed inside of you that says, you have to express this. You have to get it out. And what I would suggest is that you remember what E.E. E. Cummings said be nobody but yourself. In your writing, you have to be yourself. You have to be willing to express it and be independent of what other people tell you and think you ought to be doing. And be fearless and willing and determined that what I have to say is important. And I'm not doing it because I'm going to make a lot of money. And I'm not doing it because I'm going to get a claim. 
And I'm not doing it because of the reviews that I'm going to get. Because if you are, then you're not a writer. That's typing. <clears throat> Writing it means you express it from your soul. And that's what you have to understand. I call this writing from the soul. And your soul is the part of you that is, um, that is infinite. This body of yours and all of its accomplishments and all of its uh, things that you own and everything about your world that is in the physical domain uh, doesn't have anything to do with the soul. All of that is finite. It begins and it ends. It's finite. It finishes at some time. It begins at some time. But there's a part of you that is beginningless. And there's a part of you that is endless. And this is where writing comes from. From that which is within you that you have to express. Because if you don't, you almost feel as if you're not going to be fulfilling a dharma, a, a sense of what you, what you decided to come into this world for in the very first place. And um, writing for me is something that, um, like I'm, I understand Arthur Miller, because right now I'm working on a book, but I'm not writing. And I would suggest the same thing is true of you, that <clears throat> writing isn't just sitting down and having uh, words appear on a paper or on a computer screen. It's listening. It's listening to your soul. Mm. And the part of you that says, I have to express this. If I don't get this out, then I'm not going to be fulfilled. I'm not going to be living this purpose that I know I'm here for. It has to be, it has to be that passionate. You have to write with passion. And <clears throat> my style of writing and the way that I do it is, uh, is unique to me. I can share a little bit about it with you, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's not what you're going to do because you can't do Wayne Dyer. You have to do you. For me, it's a, it's, a, it's a sacred experience. I have a place in my, uh, my home. I live on Maui, in, the, in Hawaii. And um, when I walk into my writing space, um, it's a very, very sacred space. I have pictures of all eight of my children in there. I have uh, each one of the 81 verses of the Tao Te Ching that was uh, some call it the wisest book ever written. It was written uh, 2,600 years ago in China during the time of the Warring States by a man named Lao Tzu. Tao, T-A-O, it means the great way. It's another word for God. It's another word for Brahman. It's another word for infinite consciousness. It's, it's, <clears throat> It's the great way. T-E means the virtue of. And Ching means book. So it's the book of the virtue of living the great way. And it has 81 verses. And those 81 verses, um, you know, the opening line of the Tao Te Ching says, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. When I turned 65, 10 years ago, I had a calling. Just like you have a calling right now to be here in this room. There's no accident that you happen to be here and that I happen to be here 
on this, uh, on this morning. Um, and when you listen to that calling um, and stay independent of what anybody else has to say about it and, and let go, in the recovery movement, I let go of uh, all alcohol in my body 30-some years ago. Um, in the Tao Te Ching, it says, if you want to accomplish great things, and not having any alcohol in my body for 30-plus years is a great thing and a big thing, especially when you know how much of it I consumed before that. <laughs> but in the Tao, it says, if you want to ac accomplish great things, you have to think small. You have to be here, you have to just be in this moment. You don't sit down and say, I'm never going to have a drink for the next 35 years. You say, I think I'll just not have one for the next hour. And you accomplish that. And then you let that new person, who has just gone an hour without it, say, would you like to try another hour? And another. And it's like 35 years have gone by, and my life is, uh, my physical body is in, in a state of purity that has never been in before. I drink only juices <clears throat> every single day. I've removed all unhealthy habits from my life. I swim every day, I run every day, I, uh, I take great care of this uh, temple that I was given, I was granted. Uh, and I do it because I, I'm connected to who I am in the moment and recognizing that anything that I put my attention on, I'm capable of creating. And so when I was called in 2005 to uh, give up everything that I had, everything, I don't even remember how that voice came to me, but it was very, very clear. Let it all go. Everything that you own, let it go. Give it all away. I gave away over 20,000 books. And it wasn't to sell them, it was just to give them away. I gave them to hospitals and I gave them to children's centers and to schools and so on, just gave them away. I gave away all my clothes, all of the clothes that I had accumulated to, uh, to homeless people. And they were wearing some beautiful, nice clothes. <laughs> I gave away all of my furniture. I gave away my home where I had done all of my writing. I just let go. Because in the recovery movement we say, let go, and what? Let God. That's how you have to write. You have to let go. And let that invisible intelligence that said, you better come to this writer's conference. Whatever it costs, figure out a way to pay for it. If you have to take a day off of work, which one, many of you I'm sure did, it's a Monday, um, figure out a way to do it and be there. What was it? It was your impersonal self. Not your personal self. Your personal self is your ego. Your ego is the part of you that believes that who you are is what you do, what you have, and what you own, and that you are separate from everybody else. But now you know you're not. At least you know the fingernail God <laughs> is with all of us. It doesn't say, I'll grow yours, but not yours. There's no Christians, or Muslims, or Jews, or anything else in that God. It's allowing anything that takes place within our heart to manifest and materialize. So that same intelligence that said to me, that same invisibleness, that same impersonal self, 
And that's a little book that uh, I was just talking to Reed back, backstage this morning before breakfast. And uh, it's a book that um, I brought with me to give to someone. And um, it came to me about two years ago. It was written in 1914, 100 years ago, by a Lutheran minister in Akron, Ohio. And it was channeled writing. And I know about channeled writing, if any of you have read The Power of Intention. How many have read The Power of Intention? Yeah, about half the audience. Um, that was a channeled book that came to me at the lowest point in my life. The time when my wife had decided that she wanted to get a divorce, which was impossible for me to even comprehend and understand. We still don't have the divorce. It's been 17 years. <laughs> but, um, and we're still very, very close. But um, I just couldn't fathom what was going on, and I, and I wrote my way out of it. And I wrote my way out of it with an understanding that intention is something that we can connect to. And my writing just took uh, on a whole new flavor from then on. Um, so that listening, listening to that inner voice, and those men who published this book in 1914, until 1940 it was published under the name Anonymous. Because he did not want, um, he knew he would be excommunicated from the Lutheran Church if what was being written in here were to be revealed. Very much like Pierre Ch uh, Tellyard of, of, of Chardin, uh, the great French uh, priest was excommunicated from the Catholic Church from the words that he spoke. His words, his most famous words were, you are not here as, an in, as a human being having a spiritual experience. What you are is a spiritual being, an infinite spiritual being, having a temporary human experience. The infinite part of you cannot die. It was never born. Infinite means it never stops. And in 1940, when he passed away, which was the year I was born, um, his wife felt that his name should now be attributed to it and had it published as The Impersonal Life. On my flight from Los Angeles to Brisbane, I read it for the tenth time. And I'm not exaggerating because I never exaggerate. I speak only the truth now. I didn't always, but I do now. And this was my, I kept track of it, my tenth reading. While my two daughters were sitting next to me, I had the little light on and I was writing it again. And I even nudged them a couple of times. I said, oh my God, I finally get it. Now I get it. And she said, it's about damn time. You've been reading that thing forever. I said, it's such a powerful knowing within. And, um, and it was really a conversation between your highest self, between your impersonal self, between that source within you that is beating all of our hearts, digesting all of our food, and opening all of the flowers and keeping the planets in alignment, and keeping the galaxies all within. It's all about love. It's all about an invisible intelligence. That directed you. It's directing your life right now. It directed my life when I was a young boy, when I was a teenager. And I wrote a novel for the first time called The Anomalous Compatriot. It was terrible. But I had to write it. But I had to write it. When I was on Guam in the military for four years, um, I wrote something like 620, something exactly like 620 uh, essays on every subject that I would come across. I had to write it. I had to let it come out.
because this is the soul. See, your soul resists anybody putting you in a box. Your soul resists putting <coughs> you in a corner and telling you this is what you should be. You have relatives to do that. <laughs> and you've had many of them. And you have friends and you have a culture and, uh, and rules and laws that all tell you what you need to be. But there's a soul inside of you. Every one of you knows who has ever been around children and have heard a child say, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. That's not a bratty child speaking disrespectfully to an older person. That is the soul saying, you can't put me in that box. It has a theme song. I know you all know it. Ready? Oh, give me land, lots of land, and the starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open spaces that I love. Don't fence me in. Don't fence me in. Don't put me in a box. Don't tell me how to write. Don't tell me what's right and what's wrong. Don't tell me about grammar. Don't tell me about dangling participles or how verbs and adverbs are supposed to modify each other. Let's, there's people, people have incarnated for the world for that, incarnated into the world for that. It's all over the internet. You can figure all of that stuff out. If you asked me to diagram a sentence, I wouldn't begin to have a clue. I don't even know an adjective from an adverb, from a verb, from an, I, None of those things matter. All I know is what I feel in here. Because your soul, your soul says, I'm infinite. I was never born. I will never die. And the minute that you try to take something that is infinite and make it finite, it stops. Because the calling of the soul, the calling that brought you here, the calling of your soul says, I must expand. I must keep growing because that's what it means to be infinite. It just, the minute that you stop it, it's no longer infinite. It's no longer your soul. Now it's somebody else's idea of what you ought to be. So my, my recommended uh, strategy for each and every one of you is to let go. Just let go. Let go of your ego. Let go of all of the rules. Let go of what everybody has ever told you about what should or shouldn't be said. Let go of all of that and listen to what only you know inside and put it down on paper. Because the highest place that you can get to is to be that place where you're independent of the good opinion of other people. And you're not writing because you're attracted to outcome. You're writing because if you don't, you're not fulfilling your dharma. And it's hardly worth living if you don't. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much.